Well, good morning. Good to see you again. Uh, it is well with your soul. If you think about your soul, it's an interesting thing to ponder. If you think about the deepest part of who you are and what affects that, what engages that. And so the question for you this morning is, is it well with your soul? Can you say it is well with your soul? Now maybe some of you are here today and your soul isn't really at rest, eternally speaking. Maybe you are searching uh, for God or for rest for your soul, uh, but you can't seem to find it. Maybe you have an awareness or even a slight perceived need of God, but you can't seem to connect all the dots. Maybe your soul is restless. And some of you here, maybe our soul is at rest, eternally speaking, that Christ having died on the cross for our sin, enables us to be free from the curse of sin and death. And the gospel has freed us or has found our soul in God. And so eternally, maybe we have rest for our soul, but momentarily, it seems to be a little upset. If you follow Jesus long enough, you will know that there will be some moments where your soul is not at rest. Maybe you are wearied or maybe you're burdened by your circumstances in life. And as we follow Jesus in life, we know that sometimes, even though we have that eternal rest, our souls are still at points restless. And so today, whether you need that eternal rest for your soul or you maybe need to be reminded of that to find that temporarily rest, I want you to know that rest is ultimately found in Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we're going we're gonna to learn from him this morning. You can go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And if you need a Bible or you'd like um, a hard copy one, there should be one underneath the chairs in front of you. You can pull that out. And that Bible is page 682. 682. And so as you're turning there, I just want to give you a brief context. We're jumping into the middle of a book, the middle of a, the end of a chapter. Uh, and Matthew is writing to uh, Jews primarily to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah that they're looking for, the long-awaited Messiah, and that he, in fact, is the Son of God. So as you read through Matthew, there are tons of uh, drawbacks to the Old Testament, specifically Isaiah. And there's a lot of comparison. Matthew does a lot of comparison between um, the religion of the day and Jesus as being the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. And so earlier in chapter 11, we see uh, kind of some persecution break out, some resistance uh, to Jesus and his message with John the Baptist being imprisoned. And John the Baptist is imprisoned by the Jewish leader Herod, and he's wondering, he, he sends his disciples out to Jesus asking him, are you the one that was prophesied about? Are you the one that Isaiah spoke of? And uh, Jesus answers him uh, really, kind of really directly to um, 
uh, what Isaiah prophesied as the coming Messiah. The, the lame will walk, the sick will be healed, the blind will receive sight. So Jesus is, is pulling back to the Old Testament to show John that he really is the Messiah. And then you find uh, the woes uh, to the unrepentant cities. Jesus is calling out um, the cities primarily where he did ministry, uh, around where he lived, and he's calling them out for their um, unbelief and unrepentance. And then just after that, we have this amazing um, description of Jesus and God claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to know uh, what only God knows, and then revealing that. And then he has where we get our text today. And if you've been around Christianity, you probably may have heard it, um, but it's, come to me all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So that's the immediate context that we find ourselves in. So let me read this, and then we're just going to walk down through the words of Jesus and, and learn from him. So Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, or maybe your translation says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, excuse me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is easy is light. Let me pray and we'll unpack the words of Jesus to us this morning. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus, who is the exact representation of who you are in bodily form. Thank you that he lived on this earth, that he taught, and that his disciples recorded his words so that over 2,000 years later, we can still learn from the very words of your son. Lord, help us, give us a humility, give us a sense of longing that only you can fulfill through your spirit and through your word. And teach us this morning how that we can find rest for our souls. Lord, we know and you know that we get wearied and burdened by all kinds of things. But Lord, in your love for us, you sent Jesus to be the rest for our souls so that we can find true rest and delight in him. Give us insight as we approach your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so first we have an invitation. An invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Come to Jesus. He's inviting. He's inviting everyone, just like he was inviting his original audience 2,000 years ago. He's inviting us today to come to him. Come to Jesus. It's to Jesus that we are to come to. Not to church. Not to relationships. Not to even religion. But to come to Jesus. He says come to him. And then he gives an example of who this invitation is to. To all who are weary and burdened. Do you feel weary or burdened this morning? Jesus wants you to come to him. And the, the words here, weary and burdened, some of your translations may say who work or who labor. This first idea as of weariness is, is caused by the work that we do. What we initiate. 
The word, as one commentator says, it means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion, to be physically worn out, weary or faint, to engage in hard work with the implication of difficulty and troubled. The work described by this word left one so weary, and this is incredible, that it was if the person had been taking a beating. Some of you say, if you worked so hard, you say what, I'm beat? It's, it's working so hard that it's like you have been beat down by your initial exhaustion and effort. So if you've been working, if you've been uh, trying, if you've been running and trying to find rest for your soul and who knows what, maybe it's that next promotion, maybe it's that relationship, maybe it's that uh, period of, of rest, maybe it's a, a, a vacation, Whatever it is, whatever, maybe it's a religion. If you, if you just do what you think you should do, then you will find rest. Jesus is telling to that person who is wearied and who is tired and who is exhausted from trying to come to Jesus on their own terms or whatever way they think they can come to Jesus. They're exhausted. Are you exhausted from trying to find Jesus in your own way? Are you exhausted from trying to deal with the burdens of life your own way? Then the invitation that Jesus offers is for you. Another description of those who Jesus invites is burdened. Now this isn't necessarily the active work that we exert that wears us down. This is a burden that that has been placed upon us by someone or something outside of us. So in the context, Matthew and Jesus is really talking to the Jews who are are burdened by all of the extra stuff that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees told people that they must do if they're going to earn favor with God. You can call this legalism, that the the religious elite are, are laying on these heavy burdens, these heavy commands that God never designed for them to bear. It's to load one up. Luke, in chapter 11, verse 44, Jesus says this. He calls out the experts of the law and says, Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. So the religious leaders are saying, this is what you have to do to fulfill the law, which is outside of the law, and they, they burden people down with it. One example I'll give you, this is so crazy, is when it came to the Sabbath. Jesus, I mean, God gave the, the law of the Sabbath to um, enjoy the Sabbath because it's a holy day. And so what they did is they added 39 extra rules to keep the Sabbath. And then of those 39 extra rules, there are 39 variations of each of those 39. So in math, I think that it's, if you multiply it, it might be like a prime or something, but it's a lot. So one of them is if you are going to spit on the Sabbath, you, need, you must spit on a rock, okay? And you spit on a rock because if you spit on the ground and your spit rolled, you were plowing and you could not plow on the Sabbath because you were working. <laughs> Crazy, right? Here's another one for all you ladies. There was a rule for the Sabbath that ladies were not allowed to look into the mirror because if they found a gray hair, 
all of the ladies would what? Pluck it out or dye it. All right, modern translation. They would pluck it out. And if they plucked it out, they were harvesting. <laughs> and we laugh. We do because it is, we can't even comprehend it. But the religious leaders were so legalistic that they added to the law and they burdened people down. And Jesus was calling them out in Luke. And he's saying, for those of you who are burdened maybe by the legalism that the religious leaders have placed onto you, the invitation to Jesus is to come to him. And we may not be necessarily burdened by the things that are imposed on us of others. Maybe we are. Maybe it's the culture around us. Maybe it's even religion that tells us we need to do something that God never intended to. And it, and it weighs us down. Can you imagine having 39 at least different variations of how to keep a certain law? It would be exhausting. No wonder where people were burdened. But maybe you're just burdened down with life. Maybe you're burdened down with, okay, um, this religion says I need to do this. This religion says I need to do that. And maybe you're like, oh, I can't even keep that. I don't know how I'm going to do that. There are other religions that tell people that they must work to earn God's favor. And that is burdensome. If you live your life trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn your way into heaven, you will always be burdened and you will never gain it. Because salvation, God's favor, is only found in Jesus Christ through faith by grace. So to that person, Jesus says, come to me. Those who are weary from work and burdened from the cares of the world and from religious additions. And this is what he says. I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. The I there is, he's the only one. Jesus says, I am the only one that will give you and that can give you rest. That new promotion will not give you rest. Having just enough money in the bank won't give you rest. If I just have that relationship or if my life works out just like this, that will not give you rest. The only way rest can be found is in Jesus Christ alone because our souls were made for him and he alone can satisfy us. But all invitations require a response. We got an invitation to a wedding a little while ago and for the longest time it sat in our kitchen where all of our mail goes. And an invitation is pretty much useless if you don't do anything with it, if you don't accept it. And so we needed to RSVP and accept the invitation. And then it actually tells you where the, the venue is going to be at. It tells you how to get there. And so if we didn't respond to the invitation, we would be like one of those guests that they're like, they call you up and they badger you like, hey, are you coming? Are you not? Right? And then if we did respond and we didn't go to the invitation or use the invitation, follow the instructions of the invitation, we'd have nowhere to go. We actually, we got there and we're like, I left the invitation at home. And luckily, luckily, God reminded me that it was at the Hill Something Manor. So we were able to find it. But every invitation requires a response. And Jesus outlines us 
two responses that we need to take this invitation. The first is to take my yoke upon you. Jesus is inviting you to take his yoke. Now, yoke, what is a yoke? It, it's an older term, right? It's, it's not just in your egg. That, that is an egg yoke. But here's a picture of a yoke. I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's a, a wooden thing. And then the next slide will tell you that you attach it to two, to two beasts of burden, cows, oxen, donkeys. Um, and it shares the load, and it keeps you on step with where you're going. Um, it's a yoke. And so Jesus is, uses agricultural metaphors. He's using one here. Uh, you will see this. But it says, and he says, take my yoke upon you. So whether we're, we're weary from work or we're burdened, we're yoked to something. We're connected to something. There is something that we're, we're connected to. And if you visualize yourself, I'm going to use this probably illustration a lot, this, this hand motion. That's so you know it's, it's the yoke. So I'm on one, this is the other yoke, okay? Just to explain that. All right? And so Jesus is saying, take his yoke. And it's not necessarily a, a taking his in addition. It's a replacement, it's replacing the yoke that you're burdened to, whether that's relationships, whether that's religion, whether that's burdens, that the yoke is weighing you down. It's burdening you. And Jesus says, hey, don't just discard that. He says, replace it with my yoke. And in yoke, in, 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 yoke, uh, in the Bible, yoke is used to describe servitude, willing submission, in order to really emphasize, it's also used as a symbol of the burden of slavery in the Old Testament. But it's a symbol of service and servitude. So this idea is that we are connected, we are tethered, we are yoked to Jesus in submission as we walk through life. The Old Testament actually forbade, here was a law, um, I don't know if it had any variations. I didn't study that. But the, the Old Testament law actually forbid. It was unlawful for you to yoke uh, on, an animal of unequal status or weight. So if you yoked a mule with an oxen, that was unlawful. Um, and some of you are like unequally yoked. You may think of 1 Corinthians where Paul says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The idea is being tethered with someone who is not quite where you're at. So a, a mule is different from an ox. And what would happen is if you, if you did that, one, you'd be breaking the law, but two, the yoke would, would not fit properly and you wouldn't get the same drive and then the, the yoke would be off kilter and it would affect the, the harness of, of both of the animals. And so it's in step of, of two being similar, walking together, accomplishing the, the goal, plowing the field, living the Christian life. And so he says, do not be... He says, yoked with him. And this is the idea of, and we'll see this in a little bit, but, but, but think about Jesus, the creator of the world, the savior of all mankind, omniscient, all-knowing, God in flesh, inviting us to be yoked with him. And in some way, there's, there's no idea that, that we can be, where there is so different we are so different from Jesus than even a mule is to an oxen. But, but Jesus offers us to, to be yoked to him and to share the burden 
and to, to move through life. He says, take my yoke upon you. Become, become my servant. Voluntarily take off whatever, be unyoked to whatever burden or whatever is wearing you down and be yoked to Jesus. And then he says this, the second response, is to learn from him. To learn from him. Jesus is telling us he's not just the teacher, but he's also the lesson. He's the curriculum. We don't only learn from Jesus as a teacher, but we follow his example. We follow his words. This idea of learning has a, a learning as a, as a rabbi, and, and they call this the, the yoke of the rabbi. I'm going to explain a little bit of Jewish history to, to really understand what Jesus is saying, but when um, a student wanted to be taught, they would seek out a rabbi. They would seek out someone that they knew that they could teach them. And they would go to him and literally leave everything that they're doing and they would learn from him. The, this is where we get kind of the idea of the word apprentice. Some of you may have been an apprentice where you go away for study. College is kind of like that, but it's a little bit more in depth. But you go and you attach yourself to a rabbi and he was to teach you. And so for your voluntary servitude and for uh, living out his teaching, he would provide you, one, with a place to live and food to eat. And so this was uh, leaving everything behind and going to learn from the rabbi. And in that day, there were four things that um, every rabbi would know. And so by simply just watching a pupil, you could identify which rabbi they were taught from. Very interesting concept. So if this is Rabbi Scott, this is how what he does, people can say, oh, you must be you know, learning from Scott because you go to Starbucks all the time and you, you know, never, never go to Dunkin', right? So you could, you could tell where the student is being taught from, kind of like if you go to a college and you wear a shirt, it's like your alma mater, it's like, yeah, you know, but a little bit more di deeper than that. But these are the four things that um, any disciple did when following a rabbi. They memorized his words. They memorized his words. They adopted his interpretation of the scripture. They imitated his ministry model. And here's, here's a fantastic one. They multiplied his teaching in disciples of their own. So they memorized his words, they adopted his interpretation of scripture, they imitated his ministry model, and they multiplied his teaching in disciples of their own. And so when you uh, yoked yourself to a rabbi, you didn't teach them your interpretation, you taught them your teacher's interpretation. You didn't teach them how you do ministry, you taught them how he did ministry. And so if you think about this as the disciple and the rabbi, you can see this in the 12 disciples around Jesus, and you can see how that applies to us. So taking the yoke of a rabbi reflected the disciples' willingness to submit and to adhere to the rabbi's interpretation and application of the scriptures. So when we learn from Jesus, we are connected to him. We are tethered to him in willful submission. And then when we learn from Jesus about who he is and what he does, we are required to not only live it, but pass his teaching on to our 
follow disciples. Very interesting if you think about modern day discipleship. And so Jesus gives this invitation to the weary and burdened and he says, this is how you respond. Transfer your burden to me, your yoke to me, and learn from me. And then this is the result, what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says this, for I am gentle and humble in heart. If you're going to voluntarily submit to someone else, if you are going to leave everything to learn from a rabbi, you better know who the rabbi is because that's a huge and serious commitment. Just like none of us would probably never um, get married to someone without knowing who they are. We wouldn't go on vacation with someone unless we knew who they really were because that could be, you know, that could be kind of crazy. Right? So this idea of is we must know the person that we are to submit to and to learn from. And so Jesus tells us, and this is the only passage in the New Testament where Jesus tells you, tells us what his heart is. Only place. He says this, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Some of your translations say maybe I am meek and lowly in heart. So Jesus is, is showing us his heart. So let me just briefly describe gentle and humble. Gentle, pretty self-explanatory, right? If you have any small child, right, I'm, I'm in the baby illustration mode because I could have one at any time at the moment. Um, so if I leave and Craig Golden comes up, you know why. Um, but uh, when you, uh, you take a small child, maybe you have a toddler, and you introduce them to a new baby or even just a smaller, something lower than itself, you tell them to be gentle, right? And you see the baby just very gentle, how they touch. They're not harsh. They're not brash with it. They're gentle. This is the idea of, of a meekness, an, able, an ability to, to control your temperament. And Jesus, Jesus says, I am gentle in heart. He doesn't say, I am brash in heart. He doesn't say, I am vengeful. He doesn't say, I am angry. He doesn't say, I'm out to get you. He says, I'm gentle. Gentle. And then he says, humble in heart. Or some of your translations says, lowly. This idea is of being humble, not being proud. But the picture is of something that is inferior, making itself on the same or lower level. So again, any person that has an adult that has a toddler, most of them you'll see, if they're playing on the floor, they're not going to be like, hey, get up, hello. They're not going to engage with something that's lower than them like this. But what do most people do when they see babies or they want to engage with babies, right? They get low. They lower themselves. They get up close to them. So Jesus says, not only am I gentle, but I'm humble. I'm approachable to you. Actually, you don't have to come to me. I'm going to lower myself to engage with you. We see the classic example in Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis. He humbled himself. He made himself lowly and took on the form of a servant. So if you're going to take his yoke, if you're going to be yoked to Jesus, if you're going to learn from Jesus... We have to know that he's, he's a gentle teacher. He's approachable. 
the unfortunate part about our, our sin nature and our world around us is that it tries to um, characterize God in an untrue manner. Now that could be a result of culture, that could be a result of your relationship with your own earthly father, whatever. But Jesus is offering us words of correction of how we think about him, how, how we realize who he really is. He's gentle and humble in heart. And so as a pupil, pupils do a lot of things right, but I think sometimes they do a lot of things wrong, right? You make mistakes and your teacher corrects you. And so it's imperative, it's important that if you're going to submit to a teacher, don't you want them to be gentle? Don't you want them to be approachable to you? Don't you want them to, when you mess up, when you sin, when you displease, God is there gently rebuking you, gently disciplining you. And he's humble. Most of the time that I know in my own life is when I blow it with the Lord, the last thing I ever want to do is go back to him, is to run back to him. And I think that's because deep down I think, okay, what's going to happen? Man, I didn't go to church today or you know, I, I, I yelled at that person across the street. All right, where's the fire from heaven? Right? Where's the fire from heaven? Or, okay, what's going to happen? Am I going to get a flat tire? Am I going to do all this? We think that God is this vengeful God that is, is waiting to smite us and slap us off the back of the head when we mess up. But that is not who Jesus says that he is. Of course he corrects. Of course he speaks truth to us. But he does it in a gentle and humble way. And Jesus here is contrasting the attitude of the religious leaders of the day, the typical rabbi. And he's saying, I am not like them. He's like, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's the result. Jesus promises us, you will find rest. You will find rest. Jesus, very words, very promise is that you will find rest if you yoke yourself to Jesus and you learn from him. As you go, you will find rest. He is the one that gives it. And again, he, he clarifies and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. He's furthering describing being joined to him. It's easy. If we're, if we're burdened down by that yoke of, of slavery to sin or that, that yoke of, of wanting to, to please ourselves and looking for all the wrong things in all the wrong places, if we're burdened down with that, he comes near us, he is gentle and wants us to exchange that yoke for something that is light. And so if, if if we're running through life, if we're doing life and we are burdened and that yoke is bringing us down, he comes to us, he is gentle, he invites us to take his yoke and what happens with a light yoke? We transfer our burden. We're able to walk. And his burden, what he asks us to do is light. If following Jesus for you is not enjoyable, I would ask you to deeply question, is the Jesus you think you're following the Jesus of the Bible? Because 
John says, we, we, if we love him, we follow his commandments, and what? They are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. There is joy in following Jesus. His yoke is light, and his burden, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. There is joy in following Jesus. And so if you are bogged down by the self-imposed commandments or what, or what you think religion is, I would invite you to come to Jesus because following Jesus is joyful. It's easy and it's light. Now, it doesn't mean your life is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. It doesn't mean that. He's not promising you're going to have the perfect life because all of us who have followed Jesus knows that sometimes following Jesus is hard, but it's not hard because of what Jesus asks us to do. It's maybe hard by what we think or the implications of that. And so Jesus invites us, come, all who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. Be tethered to me, submit to me, allow me to, to lead you in the path and learn Learn not only for, from my words, not only memorize my words, but learn from me how I do things, how I interact with people. And why should you, why should we want to follow a master and to learn from a teacher? Because he's gentle and lowly in his heart. That's who he is. And he has promised you will find rest. Not just a physical rest, but rest for your souls. The idea of find is, is that idea, eureka, you found it. Whoa, I found it. I found rest in Jesus. All right, so what does this mean? So what? Well, there are probably some in here who have not, have, has not, their eternal burden of their soul has not been lifted because you have not accepted in Jesus' personal invitation for the forgiveness of your sins. So you may be following religion, you may be trying to ease your own conscience, trying to uh, get yourself back to God, and you may be weary because you are working and trying to find it, but it doesn't seem to match. Jesus' invitation for you this morning is that you can have eternal life, that your soul can be at rest eternally, by believing in the gospel, by believing who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for your sin, for your shame, for all your guilt. He paid that penalty for you so that you could have a right relationship with God. And he didn't just stay there, that he, he died and was buried and God rose him up and now is seated at, at heaven where he's interceding for us, waiting to return. So for you, you need to accept Jesus' invitation for salvation. To admit that you're a sinner, to believe on Jesus Christ and call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And you will have that eternal rest for your soul. That, that sense of belonging, that sense of security, that, that of coming home. And then you can be yoked to Jesus and he can be your teacher. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus, who have that soul rest eternally, 
For us, we maybe need to think, okay, because we may be burdened and we may be wearied, but maybe we need to evaluate how we're doing in the school of Jesus. How are we doing? How are we doing in allowing Jesus to be our teacher and our guide? How are we apprenticing with Jesus? Maybe you need to take the next step in learning from him. Let me give you a couple. As a disciple, right, we need to memorize his words. First of all, we need to know his word. Jesus, through the Bible, gives us his word. These are God's words to us. And they are not meant just for us to read it and put it on the coffee table. It's an instruction manual meant for us to, to know and to love the Jesus that this Bible s- describes and then to follow, to do what the Bible says. James says, don't be like the person who looks in the mirror and sees that they have something wrong with them and the mirror being the word of God and walk away unchanged. But he says, be hearers of the word and be doers also. So do we know what Jesus says? Do we know what God says for us? One of the ways that we want to make disciples here at Heritage is we want to make sure everybody knows how to properly understand and interpret God's words to us, which is why we're having a class at Heritage Institute, how to study your Bible. Maybe you've never had someone sit down with you and understand how you for yourself can understand what Jesus wants you to know and how Jesus wants you to live. I would invite you, come to how to study your Bible. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe you've got the Bible reading down. It's great. You know what the Bible says. Maybe you need to to learn how to do the Bible. Or maybe if you're like me a couple uh, years ago, I did not memorize scripture since Awana. Right? Awana is a great program to memorize. Maybe you need to to know God's word and to, to memorize it daily or weekly. Take a verse and say, I am going to memorize. I am going to put this word not only in my mind, but also in my heart. And so you need to memorize scripture. Maybe part of your learning from Jesus is you need to talk with him through prayer. Maybe you need to to, to pray more. I mean, I'm sure we could always, any of us can say, yeah, I should probably pray more. Maybe you need to develop a method of praying. Maybe you need to learn how to pray the scriptures or set a regular time to to pray and to talk with God, to thank him. Here's another one. Maybe you need to to learn with other disciples, the church, right? We're a group of, of followers of Jesus who are committed to following him. And so maybe you need to take your next step in engaging with other disciples here at Heritage. I can tell you what, if all your learning takes place on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., you are, you are only taking an appetizer of the feast that God wants you to have. If all your learning is just little bits here and, and little bits there, remember that as disciples, we're yoked to Jesus. We're connected to him. And by implication, we're connected to his people. And we do life together as we learn together. Maybe you just need to say, you know what? I need to, to do life with other disciples. Maybe I need to study with other disciples. Maybe I need to let other disciples, here's a big one, disciple me. 
And maybe, and this is a, a big passion of mine, is that maybe in our step as a step, maybe we do all those things. Maybe we read the Bible, we study it, we pray, we do all these things. We've got it down. Maybe part of your learning involves bringing someone else along. I think about uh, in, in Titus where it says, older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. Maybe we need to, to say, okay, how am I making other disciples of Jesus? And not just making them, but am I making them disciples who are also making disciples? Because if our discipleship just stops with one other person, I don't think that's the discipleship that Jesus wants. Just imagine if his disciples there only replicated what Jesus taught them and what Jesus showed them to one other person. We probably wouldn't be here. So this idea of of bringing others along, not to what we do, not to what we believe, but to what Jesus says and what Jesus does. I know that's a lot. And so you may be weary and you may be burdened, and I want you to know that Jesus offers you rest, eternal soul rest, but also rest as you follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do now is I want to give us a couple of minutes just to respond to God's word. We've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be drawing you. He may be convicting you. Maybe something that you read or something I said uh, put up a flag. It's like, oh, I need to do that. Or, oh, I want to do this. I just want to take a couple of minutes before we sing to just pray and ask God's Spirit to whatever he's telling us to do that we would follow through in obedience to him. And so I'm going to give us some time to do that. Pray to the Lord. If you need him for salvation, you can pray to him and admit you're a sinner and pray to him and receive salvation. Or if something struck you or like, I need to do this or I need to read more, I need to remember, whatever it is, God knows I don't. Talk to him about it and respond to his spirit in your life. And after that, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and hopefully be encouraged if we're weary or heavy laden. So let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your word. Thank you that it is sharp and it's active, that it teaches us what to do. It rebukes us when we're wrong. It corrects us. It gives us everything we need for life to serve you. Lord, I pray that as your spirit has challenged us or convicted us or encouraged us, whatever it is, I ask that you would use your spirit and follow through on that. Give us what we need to put into practice what you have taught. Help us to obey you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing Jesus' heart to us, that he is gentle and he is humble. And Lord, I pray 
that this truth would come to our minds at even the slightest doubt, even the slightest question of your love and character for us. Lord, if there are some here today that need you for salvation, I pray that today would be the day that you draw them, that they would know that they could have that salvation because of what Jesus did. Lord, for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, thank you that you deal gently with us, that we always have room to grow. And I pray that you would teach us so that we can learn how to make more people more like your son. It's in his name we pray.